0: Well, what a privilege I have to come up here each Sunday and share God's Word with the most wonderful people in the world. I love it today, I, uh, I love it because we've already sung what I'm going to speak about, and it all ties in, and we've come to the last verses of Hebrews chapter 12, and I really have one main point today, and it's this, what we give ourselves to determines our direction and ultimately consumes us what we give ourselves to what we entrust ourselves to influences us deeply and becomes the driving force in our lives and it's important to know just what that thing is and to acknowledge it and whatever the reason if we're not giving ourselves to God we are giving ourselves to someone or something else. And it's not just an issue today. People have been struggling with this, this uh, issue since time began. Early Hebrew Christians dealt with it. Imagine with me what it might have been like to, to be a first century Jewish Christian living in Rome. Uh, to believe in Jesus uh, it was an, a life altering, uh, life threatening pursuit. Your new life in Christ had given you a joy you'd never thought possible, but along with it, you face the misunderstanding, the mistreatment, and the marginalization that go with standing and claiming to be a follower of Jesus. And you've grown weary, discouraged. Weary of having everything you say or do misunderstood and misinterpreted, to make you out to be the enemy of God when you've never been closer to Him in your life. Since converting to Christianity, you uh, have been ostracized from your family and the Jewish community. You've been harassed by Roman soldiers and had your livelihood taken from you. And you've been taught that God was the righteous judge, that He... Uh, would protect his covenant people. But you've begun to doubt whether God really is concerned about you. Your enthusiasm has cooled a bit towards the house group that you belong to. You've missed the weekly meal and worship for the past few weeks. And your current troubles combined with your growing doubts have begun to obscure the truth and you're losing perspective. You wake up one day thinking, well, I'm just going to go back to Judaism. I'm going to go back to the temple, back to what I know. It was better back then. That afternoon, a friend stops by. He's really excited, and you wonder why, and he says that you must come with him. A letter has arrived. A letter has arrived from, from the east somewhere, and the leader of your house church is bringing it tonight. And so you agree to go with him. Uh, You are skeptical though that anything can really change the way you're feeling. And you arrive at the house that night and the place is packed. Standing room only. And the leader walks to the front of the room and, and slowly unties the scroll and begins to read. God. After he When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he had inherited a much more excellent name than they. He reads on. And you you hear of how Jesus is better than angels and Moses and, and Aaron and better than anything or anyone. How animal sacrifices are obsolete. How Jesus' sacrifice is better because it does what no animal could do. It dealt with the sin problem once for all. How we ought not to neglect the great salvation which we have received. How how believers are brethren. Partakers of a heavenly calling. How we are a part of Jesus' household if we hold fast our confidence and our hope firm until the end you hear how jesus is like an anchor for our souls how our hope in him holds us fast in the midst of trial and 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 pain and trouble and storm and how we must press on how if your faith is real you'll endure and you won't give up And, and to not neglect the gathering of believers. And to encourage one another day after day until Jesus comes back. And as you hear these words, you, you feel challenged. You feel convicted, but not condemned. Your heart is encouraged. You, you think that there's hope. Your, your confidence is returning. You, you feel really reassured. He's been reading for almost an hour... And he comes to these words, and you can stand with me for these if you'd like. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised. Saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. As of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And all you want to do at that point is worship God. And and serve Him. God has rescued you from your doubts and your fears. You feel that you can keep going, that, that there is hope. Confidence has returned. You can be seated, please. Or you can keep standing. It's your, your choice. Your choice. Uh, so how are we to take the words of Hebrews 12, 25 to 29? It's the fifth and final warning in the book of Hebrews against the danger of apostasy, the danger of falling away from God, of going. I think the first thing we need to realize is that assurance and confidence must never lead us to complacency. See, we're reminded that we're in the hands of a sovereign, holy, powerful God who shakes creation and history. In our age that's permeated with uh, technological and theoretical ideas that begin to make us think we're eternal and invincible, things like earthquakes and fires remind us of our frailty, remind us of how weak we really are. And events that have international ramifications and significance drive us to dependence upon God who holds all things in the palm of His hands. He controls all things and He is also our loving Heavenly Father. But with that in mind, I want us to think about several questions as we take to heart these words from Hebrews 12. And the first question is this, what do you give yourself to? What do you give your heart away to? Men, women, young, old, boys, girls, whoever you are in whatever age you are, there are different things we give ourselves to. Different things we entrust our hearts over to. What has your heart? What thoughts? What? Who or what? Are you listening to? Verse 25 says, See to it that you don't refuse him who is speaking. See, uh, those who didn't escape when they refused God warning from earth. Wow, how much less will we escape if we refuse him who warns from heaven? Once more, the writer points to the reality of the word of God as a force that we must reckon with. A reality. Make sure something serious doesn't happen that you refuse to believe and obey Jesus. God wants us to entrust ourselves to him. At Sinai, the people couldn't bear to hear God's word. They begged that he would stop speaking to them. That was due to their terror at the awe-inspiring presence of God revealed among them. The Old Testament makes it clear that time and time again throughout the wilderness wanderings they ignored God's voice. They ignored ignored God's will. They refused to listen to God and they paid the price for their rebellion. And the Israelites didn't escape judgment when they refused God's voice out there in the wilderness. He had warned them from an earthly mountain, Sinai. But now it says that he warns from heavenly Zion, from his unseen throne, God is speaking the gospel. How much more? It's an awful, surey argument from lesser to the greater. Uh, The writer of Hebrews loves this type of argument. Uh, And he's saying this, to disobey the gospel is worse than disobeying the law. There's bigger judgment, there's worse terror for those who reject Jesus and fall away from Him. And the entire book of Hebrews has built up to these verses. The entire book. Next week we're going to get into Hebrews 13. It's going to, it, can, it contains a really practical uh, application of how to live out the Christian life. But chapters 1 through 12 is, is an appeal primarily to believe Jesus. To listen to God speaking through Christ. And the warning is clear. Don't ignore Jesus and don't reject God's word. Don't ignore Jesus and don't reject God's word. We must fix our eyes on Jesus in a lasting and continuing and ongoing way. Refusing to listen to Jesus is refusing to give ourselves to him. There's a whole stack of Bibles somewhere, right over there. And they are lost and found Bibles. Well, half of them are. And you can go to the lost and found table over there and there's four more. And someone doesn't have their Bible. But there's there's Bibles up here, lost and found Bibles. God's speaking. You might need this. Um, anyone not have a Bible? I've got some to give away These are not the lost and found Bibles Anyone need a Bible? Anyone? God is speaking What's he saying? Look at Hebrews twelve twenty four. We looked at that last week come, We've come to Jesus The mediator of a new covenant And to the sprinkled blood Which speaks better than the blood of Abel People in the, in the Old Testament, economy would have known a lot about sprinkled blood. <laughs> the temple was a messy place. But the blood of Jesus is speaking. So here's what God is saying He's saying that the blood of Jesus is the only sufficient payment for our sin. He, that He shed His blood on the cross, that He substituted Himself in our place, that He died in our place, that He bore our sin, that He paid our penalty, that He took our judgment. His blood, the only sacrifice. That's what God is saying. Verse 26 tells us God's voice shook the earth then, but now he's made a promise. He's not going to shake the earth, only he's going to shake heaven as well in the future. Growing up in Southern California, you get used to earthquakes. But two stand out in my mind. I may have mentioned this to you before, but uh, 1971, Silmar, 1987, Whittier. I remember the exact things I was doing when they hit. 71, laying in bed, 8 years old, (laughs) afraid of the things falling from my shelves. 87, standing in the hallway of our home in Downey. Remember the exact moment. When God spoke from Sinai, the earth quaked. And Israel remembered that quake. That quake became deeply rooted in the national memory. It was celebrated in the Psalms and other Old Testament poems. Psalm 68, verse 7. O God, when you went forth before your people and marched through the wilderness, the earth trembled. The heavens dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai trembled at the presence of God. In the Old Testament, earthquake was expected to accompany the coming day of the Lord. But not only that, the heavens would shake too. Isaiah 13, 13, God said, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place. In the wrath of Jehovah, in the day of his first anger. Fierce anger. In Haggai verse chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, Zerubbabel had received assurance from God uh, at the dedication of the second temple and this is what he heard in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the dry land and all nations and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord and in context these words signified that God's purpose was to do his will God's purpose was to overthrow those who had raised themselves up against him and his people that he would exalt the throne of David and make Jerusalem and its, temp- and its temple the center of worship and allegiance for all the nations. But the writer of Hebrews shows that these words signify the end of the world. It's an apocalyptic picture. Earth and heaven fleeing from the face of God, the righteous judge on the throne, and earth and heaven will be replaced with a new heavens and a new earth. When that day comes, the entire material world will be shaken to its core. Will be shaken to pieces. The only things to survive will be the unshakable things. What can't be shaken will remain. Verse 27. says... This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken will last, will remain. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. When we walk uh, with Jesus we walk with the reality that someday what we see here will no longer be. But when we talk about the end of the world We, let me put it this way, we talk about the end of the world, it only makes a difference if it makes a difference right now. It's not some idea that's out there. It's got an impact today. See, our hope about the coming of Christ comforts us about the future, but it should transform the present. It should transform the way we live right now. If we get a handle on what the Bible says about end times, how Jesus will return, everything will change. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, how we think and live will change. See, knowing that God is going to shake all created things should should cause us to reevaluate our lives what we're investing our resources in as individuals and as families and as, as a church. And, and really, as, uh, as we live now in light of things we don't yet see, Christ's return, uh, we live for what will be secure eternally. Perspective changes everything. Our perspective then changes the picture and our desires and our direction changes. See, the reason why it's so important what we give ourselves to is because what we yield to determines our direction. What we give ourselves over to is the way we're going to go. So the second question is this, what direction are you going? And, And will it last? Will it take you anywhere of value? Verse 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us do something. Let us move in a certain direction. Here's what it says. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. We have received an unshakable kingdom. The kingdom of God. And believers in Christ share in that kingdom. And it's a kingdom because our great high priest Jesus is a king. He's a royal priest. Now think of all the human kingdoms that have ever been: empires and institutions that have existed that have been thought of as immovable, unbeatable, lasting, but they were toppled due to pride, due to self-will, uh, due to uh, power gone wild. Think about the Roman Empire. What would people have said back in the early days of Christianity regarding which kingdom will last longer, the Roman Empire or Christianity? The people would have thought you were crazy if you said Christianity. They would have said, Rome will last forever. It's a joke now. Think of it. See, from our perspective, things look a lot different than what they would have looked like then. We're taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. That is, that God's rule would extend further and further and deeper into our lives and our families and our churches and the world. That's what history is all about. That God's kingdom would come. That God's kingdom would take over. That where God is ruling is his kingdom And where God is acknowledged as king, would grow more and more and more. See, we're either building God's kingdom or our own. We're either attempting to make God famous or ourselves. Since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's move in a certain direction. See, we're going to move either with God or against God. And here's the direction that we're, we're encouraged to go, that we're exhorted to go... Uh, to show gratitude, that that kind of sounds weak to us. We'll just be grateful. Let's think about that for just a moment. What does that mean? Uh, le- because we have uh, we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us show gratitude. Literally, let us have grace. It's a little deeper meaning. It's the Greek word charis. It's the Greek word for grace. If, since we've received a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us have grace. It's the idea of thankfulness. Let us be thankful that the kingdom of which we are a part is unshakable. And in light of that, let us offer worship to God. Let us offer to God and to serve him. Interestingly, in verse 28, uh, the word offer and Service are the same Greek word, latruo. It means to worship. Because we've received a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us have grace and worship God with all our life. And let us do it with reverence and awe. I looked up those two words and awe means reverence. (laughs) Reverence means awe. Uh, carefulness around the throne of God. Worship. Our worship should have a sense of the awe and majesty, uh, the awe at the majesty of God and the holiness of God. Combined with a grateful trust and love uh, for who He is in response to His mercy and His grace. That's how people who are walking in step with Jesus, people who are going in His direction approach see all who hear the gospel are like the ground that's receiving the rain that's coming down outside right now all who've responded in faith to god have a hope that's an anchor for the soul can't be moved can't be shaken it'll last because it rests on god and who he is and what he says and what he does that's where i want to be It's my favorite place to be. But if you claim to believe in Jesus and nothing has changed in your life, or maybe you've gone back to your old life, then what's changed? Many call themselves Christians but dishonor the name of Jesus. There are some whose false profession will be revealed by their choice of the world over Christ. And we weep, and we don't want to be there. Some are, and some will keep going, and will perish, and and some will turn and, and 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 come back to God. And be saved. But the clock is ticking on all of us. The sands of time are sinking. A day of reckoning is coming. If you're following Jesus, you're safe, secure. But if not, you're on your way to a Christless eternity. Now there's a way of escape. His name is Jesus. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has caused the sin of all of us to fall on him. In 1 Peter, Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Let us have grace. Let us have grace. Now you may have an intellectual perception of truth. You may be friends and relatives of believers. Believers. You're around those who are filled with the Spirit of God. You've seen the effects of the Word of God in their life. You've seen God do miracles in their life as He's changed them. But you've never come to the point of trusting Jesus with your life. And if so, you need to do that right now before it's too late. You see, Jesus came to earth to save humanity from sin that separates us from God and he lived and he died and he was buried and he's coming back. He came back to life and he's going to return and he gives all who believe in him forgiveness and and eternal life and a new life. George Guthrie said this, God's word must be received or rejected. There's no middle ground with God. At the end, a person will either be a citizen of God's unshakable kingdom or will perish with the rest of the universe. The grace triumphs over judgment. But if you're playing fast and loose with grace, I must remind you there is wrath awaiting. This was by, Hebrews was written to a professing group of, of people. People who said, we believe in Jesus. And when I came to the book of Hebrews, and, and I, my, my goal is to just go verse by verse through this book, praise God, as God allows us and enables. But there's no agenda coming here. You just take what's in the verses and go with it. And, and my prayer every week is, God, what do you want your people to have today, this week? And God God is 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 sitting in his seat in these verses as as judge. And and grace doesn't mean ignoring sin. Grace does not mean ignoring sin, or that's not grace. In fact, God doesn't say this to humanity. Whatever you've done, come. And and even if you don't come, it's okay. And, And even if you pretend to come to me, it's okay. Or if you play at coming... And you can just leave whenever you want. That's not what God says. That is not true to Scripture. grace must be received. And those who reject it receive judgment. That's the most loving thing to say to anyone who wonders. See, what we give ourselves to is important. It's really important. Because it determines our direction. But also because it ends up consuming our entire being it consumes us it eats us up either for good or bad so the third question is this what are you consumed by what is consuming you verse 29 says for our god is a consuming fire A consuming fire, not a comforting fire, a consuming fire. So I want to sit next to a comforting fire right about now when the rain's coming down and it's cold outside. I want to sit next to a a comforting fire. But here in verse 29, we read that God is a consuming fire. And again, living in California, we know what fires do. They consume everything in in their path. Nothing is exempt Oh, you just built a new house? Okay, well, the fire will miss you. No, it just goes. It's wild. Now, these, this verse, verse 29, is meant to tie in to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. We've got to look at that. Hebrews 10, 29 to 31, says... How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, that was one of the warnings against apostasy. Falling away from God. Our God, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 29 says, is a consuming fire. Now, fire is a really interesting picture for God, isn't it? What's fire like? Well, fire's unmanageable. Fire's uncontrollable. And fire's dangerous. Don't touch it, you're going to get burned. Fire is, is, is uh, something you don't want to mess with. See, you can't manage God. You can't try to fit Him We can't try to fit him into our life however he'll just fit in on the side somewhere. He calls the shots. We don't. He is is Lord and King. So he gives us everything, but he takes everything as well. Just like fire consumes. And he uses everything. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. C.S. Lewis said this of the Christ figure Aslan... He's not safe, but he's good. And if we surrender to God, he drives us and he consumes us in a good way. I think we could sum up the whole Christian life with a picture. A picture of calling a truce with God. Of of, of raising the white flag and surrendering to him. We who were at war with God. Fighting against him. Resisting him. Going our own way. Working against him. In Christ have been rescued. In fact have been captivated and captured by grace. So he's removed the enmity. The, the barrier. The dividing wall. The sin that separated us from him. I even think that the process of evangelism. Of sharing our faith in Christ. And helping others come to know Jesus. And discipleship. Of helping people grow in Christ. Can also be summed up with this picture. Of continually calling a truce with God and saying, Not my will, but yours be done. See, we're not self sufficient. We've got to call people and ourselves to call a truce with God and just lay down our arms and and surrender. You could use the well known traffic sign, Yield. It's another good picture. If we yield to Jesus, it means that we, let, we want Him to lead. We're letting Him go. We wait while He leads. We watch. He works. We're dependent upon Him. And yielding to God means acknowledging and allowing His leadership in our life. So I like the idea of the calling the truth picture. <laughs> the idea of raising the white flag and it captures what we're to do to surrender to God. We're going to surrender to someone or something. We do it all the time, right? All the time. We're consumed by what we yield to. And what we give ourselves to determines our direction and ultimately consumes us. Takes it all over. And according to this this passage we're looking at today, no one can get out of God's path. He is a consuming fire. You're going to go through him one way or the other. We will, we will go through Him either way. We will either be destroyed by the fire or, I wish I could say comforted now, but here's the truth, we will be either destroyed by the fire or refined by the fire. I remember the, the big Yosemite fire back in the 80s. There was a certain kind of, of pine tree. I believe it was the bristlecone pine uh, the, the whole forest was destroyed by fire. And the interesting thing is the seeds to grow the new trees would only come out in the midst of intense heat. In the middle of the fire, the seed pods opened. And the seeds for the new forest were, were, were falling into the ground as the fire raged. Very interesting picture. The new new forest wouldn't have come unless the fire had swept through and literally refined and and broken open what couldn't get broken open otherwise. See, we are either going to be consumed by God in judgment, destroyed in an unforgettable and unending fire as unbelievers, or consumed by God. In his process of refining as believers. As Job said this. He said, when he has tried me. I will come forth as gold. I will come forth as gold. See when God's through with us. He will have prepared a people. For his glory in eternity. He is preparing a people for himself. Refining us. Burning away the bad stuff adding in the good so we live in light of eternity and everything changes let's pray lord god we 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 do stand in awe of you in your presence we love you lord and we thank you for your uh, refining in our lives